Shalom! Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Christchurch Jerusalem, the oldest Protestant church in the old city. And here we are studying Galatians, a very important uh, uh, book, pivotal, I think, to the beginning of the New Testament, one of the first um, epistles ever written by Paul. And tonight we study a clash of apostles where two of the greats actually argue with each other, like two rabbis arguing, that's never happened before. Hey, <laughs> Now we acknowledge that the Lord is present and we know that he is king and uh, we all have the spirit. So let's all be um, genial with each other as we continue to wrestle the words of God and learn and with encouragement, put them into practice. So let's pray. And Sharon from Quebec will lead us in prayer. Lord, we just praise you and thank you so much for the privilege of meeting together, Lord. Thank you so much for technology and uh, just the fun of meeting with people from all around the world, Lord. And uh, just thank you so much for Aaron and his faithfulness to keep doing this, Lord, and Christ Church uh, to provide for us. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this chance to study your book, Lord. We pray uh, Galatians would speak to us today, that your spirit would open our hearts, minds, and souls to the truth, and that uh, you would continue to encourage us and uplift us and use us, Lord, in the places where we are. We know that we can work and serve you in all that we do and say in our, in our employment, our marriages, in our families, parenting. And we just pray that you would use us for your purposes in each place, as we've talked about, and um, just continue to use each one of us where we are. Lord, give us courage, boldness, and confidence to share all that you've given to us freely and lovingly with those around us. Praise you and thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Sharon. As is our tradition, uh, we read a summary of our discussion from last week. These notes are online, find the PDF and follow along if you would like. So this is a record of um, most of the things we said last week. Plus, I found one extra verse, which I will note uh, during our talk. Galatians 2, verses 1 to 10. Paul continues to reveal some autobiographical material that is not found anywhere else in Scripture. In Galatians 1, Paul described his first trip to Jerusalem three years following his Damascus Road experience. In Galatians 2, he describes a second journey to Jerusalem, this time 14 years later. Now, the use of the word uh, epite, the then, which is the third time he's used the word then so far, the use of the word then probably indicates the timing to follow after the initial three years. Thus, Paul has spent 17 years in ministry since his calling in Damascus, studying in Arabia, ministering in Damascus, moving to his childhood home in Tarsus, and finally called to serve the Jewish Gentile community of Antioch by Barnabas. On this second trip to Jerusalem, Paul is accompanied by Barnabas and Titus. There is a debate in scholarship as to whether this second trip refers to Acts 15 or Acts 11, with the first trip to Jerusalem already confirmed as being Acts 9. Paul confesses that this journey to Jerusalem was not self-instigated, but it was in a response to a revelation. 
What revelation is not explained? Acts 11, 27 to 30, refers to a prophecy by Agabus concerning a pending famine in the Roman Empire. Financial support is raised by the Antiochian community with the proceeds sent to the elders of Judea by Barnabas and Saul. Now, I am of the opinion that Paul and Barnabas would not have avoided the elders of Jerusalem, which is the chief community in Judea. And therefore, I conclude that this second trip of Galatians 2 coincides with Acts 11. As Acts 12.25 describes Barnabas and Saul as returning from this mission from Jerusalem, accompanied by John Mark. Now, there are others that would argue that this is uh, Acts 15. However, I'm convinced that due to the prophecy listed in Acts 11 and the last verse of Acts 12, which describes Barnabas and Saul returning from Jerusalem, that being accompanied by John Mark, that this actually is Galatians 2. Acts 15 being a third journey not mentioned in Galatians. Of Paul's companions on this journey, Barnabas is Jewish, Titus is a Gentile. Quite poignant companions giving the nature of the boundary issues at stake between those two groups in the fledgling church, or Kehillah. Barnabas, a.k.a. Joseph the Levite from Cyprus, has been serving as a teacher and prophet in Antioch. See Acts 13.1, where he is described as a prophet. Titus uh, is Greek, and as noted in the text, he is uncircumcised. Tradition records Titus as a citizen of Antioch who joins the Jesus movement. Luke, as the author of Acts, makes absolutely no reference to Titus at all. And it is through Paul that we are introduced to this biblical character, primarily in connection to the collection of the support for the Judean communities. Paul indicates that he held private meetings with the Jerusalem leadership, with the topic of discussion being Gentile ministry. Paul says he presented his material of the gospel to the Gentiles to be sure that he was not running the race in vain. There are many things we can learn from this encounter between Paul and the Jerusalem leadership. Paul had received divine revelation and instruction in the gospel, yet took human counsel as well. This is an important lesson for the church today with the dearth of spirit-filled and spirit-taught believers challenging church leadership to the detriment of the body of the Messiah. Was Gentile ministry valid? Of course it was. Paul was concerned that the effect of Gentile ministry might produce two communities, one Jewish and one Gentile. Thus, the unity of the body would indeed have been in vain. We, he would have fallen short in his calling. The Jerusalem leadership, later defined as Peter, James, and John, do not add any new material or any new commissions to Paul's ministry, simply confirming the approaches taken by Paul and Peter. No mention is made of the callings or any of the approaches of any of the other apostles, including the aforementioned John. So the, the Jerusalem council... Uh, leaders only talk about Peter and Paul. No, 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 no reference to anybody else. 
which is interesting. Sacred history is just not concerned with their adventures. That is relegated to the pages of hagiography. Paul is reminded that he should remember the poor, and of that he is eager to continue to do. That's a summary of our little discussions from last week. And so now we leave the biographical material of Paul. We start to get into the meat of the issue that's at stake. And uh, we start with an explosive encounter between two rabbis, two of the big guys, Peter and Paul, which we had just read, were commissioned. You go one way, the other guys go the other way. Not a problem. And yet we realize they've actually had a problem. And so our reading tonight is the rest of Galatians 2 from verse 11 to the end. And we read. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus the Messiah. So we, too, have put our faith in the Messiah Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in the Messiah and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in the Messiah, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners... Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with the Messiah and I no longer live, but, but the Messiah, Christ, lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. All right, three powerful words. Okay, as is our tradition, based on a literal Peshat reading of the text. Guys, is there something that jumps out, stands out for you? Something shocking? Yeah, actually it is. It looks like... Um you know, and I've been reading through this and trying to figure it out, but it looks like um, Paul, you know, you've got to dif differentiate between, you know, which law is he talking about? Is he talking about the Torah? Is he talking about the Mishnah? You know, it seems like the, the law not to associate with Gentiles, isn't that a, isn't that a Mishnah, a oral Torah? And also the, some like the, even the circumcision is not a law in the Torah. 
but it's a law, you know, oral law or whatever the Jews went by, Mishnah, whatever it is. I don't know those well enough to know, but I know that that, that it's not a law to the Torah, of, from the Torah. Because circumcised for Gentiles, right. Circumcised for Jews, yes. Correct. So anyway, just the background, it seems to me that we need to sort of know what law are they talking about here. Um, I think he's talking about the Torah, because law basically means Torah. I mean, okay. I think he's not talking about the Mishnah of all these oral traditions, because it wasn't set up yet. I mean, they were putting those things up. I think he's talking about the Torah itself. I mean, the circumcision of Jews in the Torah, but of course, it doesn't talk about circumcising Gentiles in the Torah. It's not a lie in the Torah. Right. Yeah, I think it's um, it's talking about the Torah, and um, in in my translation, I use um, the tree of life, and it uses the word Torah there. Okay. Um, when it's talking okay. about those um, for the law, use the word Torah, and um, what Paul was uh, Paul he absolutely uh, like Peter always had, had said in some other place that. The words of Paul are, are difficult to understand because many people read this and they think um, Paul is actually negating the Torah. Um, but in a lot of places, you see that he's not actually trying to negate the Torah. When you read it in the context, is actually um, describing what the Torah is intended to do. And that's where a lot of people get confused. But he's talking about the Torah as, as, we, as we rightly agreed. Okay. There are many sojourners uh, in with the Hebrews coming up out of Egypt in Exodus. Um, and I'm sure they were required to be circumcised when they entered the land. They, yes, they joined in Rocky in the Exodus. It is true that there was a multitude that joined Israel and they joined the people of God. And they also joined so by becoming uh, Jewish people, that includes being circumcised, and therefore they're no longer counted as or should not be counted as Gentiles. The problem is, of course, that some people still do. So, Mahdi or Nehemiah, like, are you guys, like, what does following the law do for the Jews? Like, does that make you right with God or does that make you, how, how does it work historically? Uh, well, the question's quite broad. Um, yeah, it's a, so, that's like, a, for example, okay, let me just put it down more specifically. Like, so when Paul, the whole purpose of this book, right? So back in chapter 1, verse 13, he's saying, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So, yeah. so some of us Protestant Christians over in Canada understand that mean he was caught up in legalism and not you know, like works in the sense of works doing them, but not... Well, let's, let's remember, Sharon, he goes out to persecute the church, but what does his rabbi, who also follows the Torah, say? Right, but okay, so he disobeyed his rabbi. But the point right. is, he is saying he experienced Christ, and what's the word you guys use? He, la he changed his life completely. Uh, yeah, kind of. I don't think... Kind he of, he was killing people. Just kidding. Yeah, this part, for sure. <laughs> That's a pretty big change. <laughs> well, actually, there's nowhere in the text that says that he killed people, Sharon. He was locking no, people up. 
Yeah. No, no he, he stood by yeah. while, while Stephen was stoned. He held his clothes. Yes, but he's he, a cop. He, he didn't kill anyone. Personally, right? He personally. Well, he, he didn't kill them literally, but you know, he held their clothes and um, indicating that um, he's, he's, he's rubber stamping whatever they're doing. Correct. Um, he is, but he himself yeah. doesn't actually physically kill anyone. An accomplice is still just as guilty. That's true, Rocky. That's absolutely true. Yeah, that is true. And uh, but what, when he was locking people up in Damascus, I wouldn't say he was like crucifying anyone. But, so, but doesn't doesn't this all go like we're just talking about the law here? I think we'd always just focus on being justified by the law, and I know you're going to cover that in a few minutes, Aaron. But the key for me here is that verse twenty. It's okay. about Christ. It's, it's the justification through faith, through the Messiah. And that's what this is all about. That's what the, everybody was losing. It's, the, the, it's not about the law per se. It's about the way of being justified. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? And the, right. whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, it doesn't matter who you are. There's only one way for us to be justified, which is through faith or by faith. Right. Yeah. Right. So historically, you're saying that the, like the Jews must have been like totally traumatized by all of this, right? Yes. They, they think that following the laws of God, Mahdi, then they're going to be right with God. No? Yes? Yeah. Okay. So then if now, oh, this is a whole new, ah, it sounds like a new gospel to them. Like it's, freak, it's freaking them out probably because they're like, well, these heathen Gentiles, like how can they know our God? No, I mean... They thought that the Torah was given only to the Jews. Therefore, I think the early Christians who were Jews thought that the gospel of Jesus Christ was also only for uh, Jews. I think that's how the this little discussion began. Gotcha. It's it's Sharon the and everybody else. The when talking about second late Second Temple period Judaism, we cannot talk about it as a as a homogenous group you've judaism within eretz israel is different from diaspora judaism the palestinian talmud is different from babylonian talmud the rabbis are different the way they teach is different the way they approach things are different for example in the land of israel you had a temple and you had the sacrificial system but no one in diaspora had access to the temple or the sacrificial system. Yet they went to synagogues. Yet they prayed. Yet they read the Torah. How did they interpret the Bible differently from their brothers and sisters in the land of Israel? It's, it, it's, it's, not, it's like trying to say all Christians are the same. You mm. just can't do that. You have a thing called Christianity, and we put that in closed quotes because maybe we should say Christianities, plural. But once we do that, we start having heart palpitations. There's only one. But we understand that within that one, there are a myriad of understandings, interpretations and things. So when we look at what Paul's saying, we need to understand the issues he's facing um, and 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 both from within, because he's going to be discussing within today's little 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 passage, is an internal debate. We've got two apostles 
who are both spirit-filled, who have both done amazing things, they're going to have a clash. And you go, wow, what's going on here? Um, and then we yeah. can learn from that. Like Peter's pressure is just having to relate to the Jews and the Gentiles having now come into faith, right? So, so having now, you know, Christian Gentiles or Gentiles that are in the kingdom of God or accepted to, acceptable to God now. Well, think of what, what's happened to Peter before this event. No, I'm totally agreeing with you. Like, it's a head trip for them, I'm sure. Yeah, but what has, happened to, what has happened to Peter prior to this event? The vision to call these guys clean. Yeah, he's had Acts 10. God as well. Gentiles so he's are he's God had God. dreams. He's had visions. He's actually seen the Holy Spirit poured out on Gentiles. He's baptized a few. And so he's had some dynamic, powerful experiences, and yet something is pressuring him to do something else. Now, that's very powerful. And that's something we probably should learn because, well, you know, We call that legalism, no? Like the legalistic approach of the Jews or mm -hmm. something? Trying to yeah. get power of tradition. Yeah, we all know the power of tradition. Yeah. And tradition uh, is the thing that we yeah. grew up in and we're taught. And, and uh, the law hasn't been done away with, with the new, it's, you know, the new covenant that talks about in the New Testament, it goes back to Jeremiah and he says, I will put my law within them and write right. it on their heart. It hasn't been abolished. It's just, it was on stone, tablets of stone. Now it's being written in the heart. So we follow the law through the heart. The new covenant is still, we still love the law. We still, instruction, we still follow it. Um, it's it's a good thing. Uh, the, the New Testament talks about it. If if you love me, obey my commandments. And we we agree and, with you, Yvonne. Yeah, it's yeah. we just need to understand what is Paul saying when he talks about the works of the Torah, because we know what he says in other other epistles. And um, um, but what is, what is the internal problem that we're having here? From what I've studied about that, from um, particularly Dwight Pryor. He said that the works of the law were kashrut, the Sabbath, and circumcision. And that was specifically what was meant in Galatians, the Ma'aseh Torah. So no matter how you define the law, the point, um, point is that you're not justified by it, right? Go ahead, Sam. If, if we look at what's um, the, the confrontation between this, um, Paul, Peter, um, Peter and Paul, I don't think it's something that is new in the scripture, especially in the in the Jewish tradition, uh, because they they usually have uh, what we call the midrash, and in the midrash you can make an argument even passionately, uh, even uh, you know, um, trying to even um, ask your rabbi, even your teacher, um, what is what he feels a particular situation should be. If we go to Matthew sixteen twenty two, we mm -hmm. saw. Um, the St. Peter rebuking Jesus. I mean, Jesus has just said, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be treated by the Gentiles. And, um, and from his own perspective, I'm seeing from his own perspective, he's saying that ah, the Messiah is supposed to come and conquer and give us the kingdom. How dare yeah. you miss it? No, then he takes Jesus aside, begins to rebuke Jesus. And um, of course, he didn't understand the totality of what it is. And I believe it is in the same vein, um, Peter, Paul, you know, Peter looks as if he's is the older or the bigger boss in the hierarchy of um, the apostles, but he, still, he was still rebuilt. And of course, Peter, knowing that what he did was wrong, had to accept. 
And um, what I think Peter was trying to do here was more of dealing with the perception. What will people say? And, you know, we always fall into that um, trap because what people will say will make us to do what, you know, will not make them to make negative comments about us. He was more concerned about his um, image and Paul was more concerned about the truth, you know. And so they realized that um, from Paul's perspective, no, your image is not as important as, you know, giving the truth. And of course, you see that the Gentiles that came out from, the, from Egypt, they were all circumcised. And the Lord gave them also a command saying that if anyone, a foreigner wants to participate in the Passover, in the Pesach, all he needs to do is to be circumcised, that no uncircumcised person should, be, should partake in this. Even the, um, even the Gentiles, if he wants to partake in the um, Passover, all he needs to do is to be circumcised. And it, we, so Paul, knowing this, um, is looking at the, the Gentiles as the same. That's not different. Because once you're circumcised, you can partake in everything and we should not be discriminated. Of course, you know that now he has a new concept. He has a, a deeper meaning of all that he has ever known in the, in the Torah. Looking at the Torah as more holistic book that is encompassing of both Jews and Gentiles. And um, at the end of the day, he says that uh, we're going to develop one new man that is not different. We have one new man, it's a Jew or it's a Gentile, it's one new man and there is no difference. Correct. The, uh, there's, there's a lot there, um, in particular with the, the circumcision. Uh, guess which other cultures circumcised? Muslims. Well, Egyptians. no, before yeah, Egyptians. Oh. Yeah. And so actually the people leaving Egypt, well, most of them were circumcised already anyway. It's the generation that's in the desert that ends up not being circumcised. So you've got to remember, put it into context about what's going on. Um, in, in that in that case, uh, uh, Mordecai, you've got a hand raised. Yes, I'd like to add something to what Shimshon said. I think, I mean, in order to understand the difference between Shaul and other apostles, we have to look at their backgrounds. You know, Shaul is a Roman citizen who grew up in diaspora, right? Kind of a Hellenistic Jew who uh, had this Roman passport, he spoke many languages, and look at Peter and other apostles who were fishermen from Kinneret, right? I mean, we cannot compare one to other. I mean, it is still the same today. You cannot compare a rabbi from Measharim to a rabbi in New York City. The way of thinking of them is way different than each other, way different. That's why I think Paul was a little bit more you know, Paul was thinking a little bit more wider, you know, and Peter was like, oh, no, you know, a little more uh, closed eyes and like more traditional. That's what I think. And speaking of this, Mordecai, are there clashes in the rabbinic world? You know, yeah. debate? Yeah. You name it. Every single day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What does it actually look like? Does it look, do they have discussions that become uh, public documents or are they just... Sometimes it, it does, like, for example, in Berlin, it happened between the Chabad rabbi from America to my chief rabbi from Jerusalem. They didn't agree on many things, and they fought over the media, and then the chief rabbi of Israel had to come here to make a peace. Uh, because my rabbi's way of thinking is more traditional, more closed, you know, more, uh, I don't want to call it more orthodox, Chabad is also orthodox, but and it's different. 
very different way of thinking, including uh, the law. One says the law says this, and another says, no, no, the law says this, because this guy grew up in Tampa, Florida, and this guy grew up in Naharia. And I'm not underestimating each other's cities, but you know, it's different. It's very different. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And don't we have that today in, 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 in our communities as well? Yeah. <laughs> so many differences of opinion, understandings of the word. But yeah. here, when we look at this and this, um, this discrepancy between Paul and um, Peter, the thing that strikes for me here is Peter saying because he was fearful of what the other Jews would think. So he was reacting not really because he didn't understand the, the freedom he has in Christ, but he was reacting because he, he might have been kicked out of the synagogue or felt he would be kicked out of the synagogue, which was, you know, under James. So is that because that's where the tension's coming in, is he was worrying more about what man thought than what he actually knew the freedom he had in Christ. And that's what seems to be going on in this. Right on. Because so my first question was, you know, what are the things that jump out and stand up? And I find it fascinating for everybody who's listening in the podcast that our discussion for the last 20 minutes has all been based around what is the works of the Torah? And what does that actually mean? And uh, what does it mean? Because both Peter and Paul have learned some Torah, have they not? One's obviously probably learned a little bit more, Both have been taught by the Messiah. Both have been taught by the same Messiah. And both have the Holy Spirit and they're having a clash. Now, that's a very interesting thought. Because Peter is not being led by the Spirit, to Vita's point, but being led by his own flesh and just wants to be looking good to his friends. I mean, that's the way. That's the way we take it. That's the way we describe it in our vernacular. That's the way we. Those are. The, that's the language that we say. Okay, but that's we what have, it says we, in, right. in the verse. It, well, it doesn't say he's not being led by the Spirit. <laughs> no, it says he's fearful. Yes, he's fearful. Correct. And, Aaron, uh, are you saying that what he's doing is being led by the Spirit and then another guy led by the Spirit who's correcting him is not? Like, the Spirit is not, like, confused. No, no, the Spirit is not confused. The Spirit is not confused, and yet we have so many denominations. A, yeah, so we're not going to justify that. We're going to yeah. seek the truth no matter what. Absolutely. Right. I'm, what I'm doing, Sharon, is I'm highlighting the issue. Okay, I'm, 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 you know, here we have two guys who have, uh, you know, the spirit of God, both taught by Jesus, and they've got some issues. The background issue, which we said in, in, in our first session, for those that want to go back and check, what is several issues that compound Jewish Gentile relationships of the late Second Temple period? How do you do this? Tahor, being unclean and being with Clean Gentiles. Unclean. Yeah, it was a big deal. And uh, that included food and uh, boundary markers. Who's in, who's out. Who's yeah. part of our community, who's not yeah. part of our, our community. And, uh, but, but one of the big issues is, of course, is food. Was a big, was food was a big issue. And it still is to this day. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, but we want to wrestle with the hard things in the passage, right? So in, ch in chapter 2, verse 11, to read his point, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He was doing something wrong. He was yeah, not yeah. I'm not saying that he wasn't. Yeah. Oh, you're trying That's to not what I'm saying, Sharon. I'm not saying that he wasn't. I'm saying that isn't it interesting that even if you're full of the Spirit and taught by Jesus, oh, my gosh, you can still do things wrong. Now, that should be a very good lesson for anybody who's listening. Please. So anybody who's listening out there in podcast land, let's take it, let's look at what our, the scriptures have just said. There is a man full of the spirit of God post-resurrection. He knows the Messiah is true. He has been taught by Jesus. He has the scriptures. And yet he can do something wrong. That's humbling. And I think also, you know, leading, leading Barnabas astray. So that taken in consideration as well. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring up one thing. You were asking what was something that we saw new. Um, the part where Kepha actually, well, Paul says to him, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. So I'm thinking, okay, in what way now is he actually living like a Gentile? and not like a Jew. What does that actually mean? I know now he's mixing with Gentiles, which maybe he didn't before. He's eating. Yeah. Eating, yeah. What this all has to do with eating? Oh, eating with Gentiles. Doesn't mean with that Gentiles. It doesn't mean that he's not following kashrut, though, right? Well, the kashrut law would forbid him from eating with Gentiles. Kashrut law forbids some Jews today eating with meat. Like, for example, I study with rabbis. You guys know. I study with rabbis twice a week. And uh, normally I would go to their house. But since COVID, we do it all on Zoom. But prior to Zoom, I could go to their house. I could eat with them. They could never come to my house. And they could never eat food from my kitchen. Now, isn't that interesting? That was my experience with, with a rabbi, an orthodox rabbi that I was very friendly with. I could go to him. And actually, when I went there, he would only give me water in a plastic cup. Um, <laughs> okay. But he, he couldn't, you know, when he came to our church, but he did um, to, to talk, give a talk, which was amazing. But we had to get kosher food. But nevertheless, he wouldn't, he wouldn't touch it, obviously. Yeah, I've experienced that. I apologize There is nothing wrong with eating, uh, eating the Gentile. If he is so concerned about kashrut, he could uh, bring his own food. But you can see them eat. Aaron and I have eaten a lot. And I don't think I just disobeyed the law. And, mm -hmm. and uh, what Melody says is very interesting. We still have that same phrase even today. There are many rabbis who refer to a Jew, like, like let's say a modern Jew, by saying, ah, look, for example, Yitzhak, he lives like a goy, meaning he doesn't keep the Shabbat, he doesn't wear kippah, mm -hmm. he doesn't do that. I mean, it's a very Jewish thing that they have, uh, that they still do. Yeah. He's not saying that he is a Gentile. He's just saying that he's, it's, a, it's a phrase. Does the Torah actually say <clears throat> that you cannot eat with a Gentile? No, that is a, a tradition. Yeah. Right. So you're not, like like Mordecai says, you're not going against the Torah nope. by eating with a Gentile. 
Paul is just saying uh, out of, from tradition, you're you're acting like a Gentile by yeah. eating with I think that's the problem here with the understanding of Paul is that, you know, I don't know when he's talking about <clears throat> Mishnah and traditions and when he's talking about Torah. And, I, you know, I, maybe I need to study that a little more carefully. Every time it says law, I'll go chase down the word and see what he's really talking about. Because, you know, Yeshua, Jesus came on the scene, you know, said, you know, I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it, the law, the Torah. And to do all, and, and I think Paul's doing a lot of the same, but, and then what Paul's rebuking everyone for is, you know, for following the mission of the same thing or whatever it's called, the law, the traditions, you know, I'm not that well versed in, in the Jewish law and, and, you know, their customs, but I think, you know, some, in some ways he's saying, you know, same thing Jesus did, Yeshua, when he came on the scene said, you know, don't follow these traditions of men follow what I've told you to do, what the law is. It reminds me of a situation of a church that we had gone to in the past. They invited a pastor that was uh, in a community, another community that was much more conservative than they were. And so our, the church, he, he had asked some of the people from the church to wear skirts because the pastor of this other community coming all wore skirts. And so it was kind of funny, some of the people in the, in the church, you know, his wife, this pastor that, you know, his wife was in his, in his daughter, they were all in, in dresses and long skirts. Yeah. Although they understand that what the Bible says, you shouldn't dress, you know, a female shouldn't dress like a male. Well, then, so they came and they left and they went back to, you know, wearing pants or whatever they wanted to. So we still have, you see that, right? You see that the tradition and, and, um, and, and trying to, you know, this community that's coming up and he, uh, you know, the, the pressure and, and, uh, and uh, you know, going back to, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be impure, but we have that. It's just amazing how you just can transport that, of course, with the, the context is very similar in some of the communities, the Kehilas that, that we're exposed to as well. Yeah, Yvonne, you Problem. The problem that we are going to wrestle with in this last part of chapter two hasn't gone away. It's uh, migrated into the Gentile world. Now, isn't that interesting? Uh, and uh, it's become a Gentile Gentile issue, not just a Gentile Jewish issue. But let's try and go back um, 2,000 years and uh, sit now uh, at the feet of Paul as uh, he tells us of his clash with. Um, Cephas, or Peter the Apostle. So, verse 11. So, Cephas comes to Antioch. So, we're talking past tense here. He's not talking about an experience that he's had in Jerusalem. We're talking about a time when um, uh, Paul is, is one of the teachers of Antioch. Remember, he has been brought to Antioch from Tarsus by Barnabas. And he has been becoming part of the leadership team looking after a Jewish Gentile community, learning, gaining some experience, uh, all that kind of stuff. So Cephas comes to Antioch. Now, we don't know why. Was it an invitation? Is he just doing an itinerary trip? We have no idea, okay, but he does, okay? And, uh, and, and, and immediately we get the I opposed him because he stood condemned. Uh, REA, what's the Greek word for condemned there? And what does it mean? Do you, do you know? That's a good translation, katakrino. 
Catholic, yeah. Okay, and what does that actually mean, like condemned per se? Like judgment has been passed, as in past tense? Yes. That's the way I read it, yes. Yes. Okay. So some, he, had, he had transgressed. Judgment was given. Peter was definitely in the wrong. Okay? So not condemned as in Peter's going to hell. Peter's you know, going to be chained to fire for all eternity and, and, and whipped by demons. None of that. Okay? It's, he transgressed something. What is it? Now we explain. For before certain men come from James. Okay? So we assume, of course, this is James of Jerusalem. So this is uh, people coming from Jerusalem. So before these guys came, our little brother, uh, Cephas, used to eat with Gentiles. Now, why is that such a big statement? Uh, just a little background I was reading here on my little thing. So is Antioch is the first um, Gentile church? According to Acts, the first Gentile that is baptized is Cornelius in Caesarea. But then in no. Acts, okay, but then in Acts, it, all, it then describes that there were um, unnamed people from Cyprus, it does not name them, were given a vision by the Spirit. And, and during our Acts Bible study, we talked about this. They moved to Antioch and they planted church of Jews and Gentiles. So the okay. first Gentiles that are, and Jewish church, as we would understand the word Kela, is in Antioch. And Antioch is a hotbed uh, uh, of, um, of sending out missionaries. I mean, they sent out all kinds of people from Antioch. And in the Orthodox tradition, it's a, it's a big deal. Antioch was always a big place of learning, of wisdom. You've got great teaching from there. Um, and uh, you, So you mean the first Gentile church or the first Jewish church? Jewish slash Gentile, mixed. Mix. So Paul has been learning how you mix Jews and Gentiles. He's had it. He's had some really good experience. And seems to have taken it on board. Well done him. Peter, maybe not so much. But, um, but, but look what he says. He says in verse 12, before these guys came, Peter, you see eat with Gentiles. Now, why is that such a big deal? Why is that so powerful to say? Well, Peter had a hard time in Acts chapter 10, right, with the whole thing about the sheet coming down. I mean, he's very yeah, he poor Peter. I mean, Peter could have been what Paul had was, and he, I think, to the Gentiles, but he, he had this kind of struggle, right? He had the struggle. He had the struggle already in Acts, and, and now, of course, you know, people are coming accusing him again. That's probably bringing up all these. And, and again, the, the whole what is such a big deal about that is the Tahor and, and, and you know, the impure and the Tahor and Tameh is the impure, purity and, and pure. But now that he's eating with the Gentiles, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's a good big deal. Yes. Let's remember the land of Israel was a blend of Jewish Jews and Gentiles. It wasn't 100% Jews, of course not. It was under Roman occupation. There were Greek cities. It had been subjugated under Seleucid, uh, Alexandrian uh, rule, okay? and uh, there was all kinds of tension. So, um, and there were Samaritans there. There were all kinds of issues. And in the late Second Temple period, um, a purity issue had occurred, which was um, to do with food, that, uh, that eating in the presence of a Gentile, eating in, of their plates, 
caused all kinds of impurity. There's um, some all kinds of interesting debates that occur. But and Peter probably had that issue. Okay. Yeah, well, it's it's a really good cross-reference uh, to your point, Aaron, in Acts 11. So it gives a little story, right? Acts 11, the first couple of verses. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Yeah, now, when we did the, the Acts Bible study, that was the kind of thing. It's like, it's not that they went, wow, the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles. You know, wow, you know, the gospel's gone to Gentiles. This is messianic. Their issue was, what? You ate with goys? What are you, nuts? I mean, um, it's almost as if you want to slap them and say, what, are you not, are you not opening your eyes and actually seeing what God is doing? This, this, this boundary issue had so clouded the community, that it had shut the light from Gentiles. Remember, what was Israel's role meant to be? Bless you. I will make you lights to the Gentiles. The number of prophecies we were reading, Melody and I were reading a few of them, uh, actually Tuesday night, we were going through and, and did various puns where Isaiah and Jeremiah said, you're meant to be a light to the nations, meant to be a light to the nations. Well, if you keep kicking them out the door and saying you can't have fellowship with me, that's not a very good light. And uh, so they, they, they had, had, had changed that. However, Peter had, had crossed the Rubicon, as the REA had once said in our, in our studies. And, uh, and he was now eating with Gentiles. You know, he, had, he was like, oh, my gosh, they're going to follow the Spirit. I'm going to follow the Spirit. All kinds of great learning is going on. And, um, however, these men from James come and something happens to Peter. Okay, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and he separated himself from Gentiles because, and he was afraid. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, which in Acts 15 is called the party of the circumcision. These are the Pharisees who have become believers in the Messiah. They believe in the Messiah, but they've still got... Um, some issues. Um, so what do you think he's afraid of, guys? What do you think Peter's afraid of? There's some really good insight in just further down in that same passage in Acts 11 that, you know, he's going into the house of this, you know, these Gentile people in yep. Caesarea. Caesarea. Yep. And so as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, meaning Gentiles, Jews, right? Yep. Believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Praise the Lord. Yep, absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, however, it doesn't seem to have affected, it might have affected their theology. Gentiles can now believe, but has it affected their practice? Can I still eat with them? Um, it seems that it, so for, there's a group that don't seem to think that way and seem to have become quite powerful. Why do you think? I mean, the text doesn't say, so basically we might be speaking in the silence here, but maybe the spirit can reveal. Why do you think he's afraid of the circumcision group? He's an apostle. He's one of the originals. He's full of the spirit. He has healed people with his shadow. He stood in a room 
and somebody called Ananias and Sapphira said, I didn't give you all my money, and they dropped dead. Yet he's afraid of this group. Why? What is it about us, guys, that makes us afraid of other people and the way they think about us? Our peer group. We all appreciate our peer group, and we look to our peer group for affirmation. Whether the, whether they are right or wrong, we feel better if they affirm us. Yeah. Okay, anyone um, want to make a comment? Out? Peer group affirmation. How powerful is that? It's pretty powerful, isn't it, guys? Yeah. And they were from the Pharisee group, and so he probably very much uh, looked to them as authority on the Torah, and maybe he was a little unsure. And so he was just stepping back maybe and just trying to figure it out himself. Just to clarify, this issue continued throughout the entire New Testament times. It just was not one confrontation early in Acts or the middle of Acts or in Galatians. It was still going on when Paul was in his last captivity, probably in Rome, writing to the Philippians. And he was still calling these people dogs. <laughs> yeah. It's an issue, and unfortunately, it's still here to this day, but in different yeah. form. We went from false brethren to dogs. Uh, it's a very, <laughs> it's, it's a very clear and uh, harrowing issue. <laughs> yeah. One of our, one of our, when we lived in the Amazon, just one more story. When we lived in the Amazon, our pastor was eighty something, and he was Irish, a blessing, very conservative church. But he would go, and he was asked to to share the word in many, many different uh, churches. So he would go to the Pentecostal churches and he said, well, you know, if I, if they have too much fire, I'll put, I'll put some water on them. <laughs> and and the, some of the Baptist conservatives, they, they've got a little bit too much water. Maybe they need to put a little bit of fire, but it's interesting because the same thing, like, oh my gosh, I, we, we can't associate ourselves. Oh, they're, they're from that Pentecostal church or, or whatever. They're from that conservative. And, and it, again, it's just the same thing, peer pressure. Oh, the, oh, did you know that she went to that church? And oh, we're the one, only ones that have the true, you know, we are the only saved ones. You know, it's just amazing. And Mordecai, yeah, like, I, I sadly, yes, uh, I know that Linda had said that, of course. And But we still have it today. We still have it today. And then so, yes, sadly, yes, for all of us. Yeah. It's interesting that the term uh, hypocrisy, as we know, is actors. We all get into acting when we're when we're within certain groups, and Peter fell into, along with Barnabas, fell into acting Jewish instead of Christian, mm. and missing out on that whole phrase of what Christian means or a follower of Jesus means, which is being one uh, with others. You know, we're all one in Jesus. We're all one in Christ, and they acted like they used to. <laughs> It's like Peter saw the waves all of a sudden and started to sink again. You know, yeah. He took his eyes off of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, because the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Yeah, this is this actor word. Um, and for those that don't know, hypocrisy is usually used in terms of actors because they, um, they fake being somebody else. Okay? <laughs> and, uh, and even Barnabas is led astray. Now, who's Barnabas and what was one of his characteristics? Last week, what does Barnavi mean? Son of a prophet. Okay. What's one of his roles in Acts 13, verse 1? He's a prophet. Even a prophet. Okay. Now, oh, my gosh. I hope everybody who's out there in podcast land is learning. Even prophets 
can get led astray. You can have the word of the Lord come on you and you can say all kinds of things. You are not God. You always have to be careful. Remember the prayer that's in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, you know, deliver me from the evil one because that guy is just everywhere. And, uh, and so, yeah, even Barnabas, the prophet of Antioch, who had called Paul from Tarsus, done such wonderful things and started him up on, the, on uh, looking after the community there. Uh, well, anyway, yeah, he got sucked in by this division. And uh, we were separating people again. I'm wondering if Peter, uh, in his remorse, uh, in writing his letter, when he talked about Satan is like a prowling rat, a lion waiting to devour, that that's speaking from this experience. Um, I know that's conjecture, but I mean, that's a good illustration of what took place. He's prowling around this group and who does he yank out? He yanks out and devours Peter and Barnabas and the yeah, other sure. Jews. Why not? Yeah. Uh, the hypocrisy that you were talking about, Stephen, yes. um, that's in the church too. We pretend that we are following the law and that we're good Christians, and uh, but we're not actually operating by the spirit. So we learn a lot from this ourselves. Yes. This is a live, yeah. is a live and learn. <laughs> Sadly. So, um, you know, just like in a little summary, we've got some peer group affirmation going on. Peter, why does Peter look to this peer group for affirmation? We don't know, but it happens. We're not sure. But whatever the, the peer group is, it's powerful. And we should all, all, all admit that peer groups in our community are powerful. Okay? That's a good thing to learn because we should try and learn something from this. Okay? And... Uh, Hypocrisy, yes, let's take it into 2,000 years into the present. And um, it's an acting word. Unfortunately, many of us act when we go to church. And that is sad. But it's um, quite interesting, as you're saying, I was just thinking about what you said about this peer pressure and peer group. But the bravery, in a sense, of Paul here to stand yeah. up to Peter, because, because of that peer pressure, most people would just let it slide. Or, or just let it go because of that the pressure or the 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 um, everybody's eyes are, are looking to this other powerful group, and here comes this person talking to the original apostle yeah. in this way. It, it's Paul really needed a lot of courage to do that. Yes, and let's think he would probably be the only one. Yeah. And often, you know, in our current world, if one person stands up and says, "Actually, I don't think this is correct." then, you know, well, first of all, you'd be deleted from Facebook, YouTube, and any of the other social media. But after that, okay, even, even your fellow church might start to shun you. So it takes yeah. a very brave person to stand up and say, actually, no, this is wrong. And uh, may we all have that type of courage. So well done, but Paul. Very brave. Isn't there, isn't there also an issue of identity in all of this? Because of if people are feeling threatened and they don't have, they're not clear about their identity, then they are going to be motivated by that fear, that, that desire to be accepted, that desire to be approved of. And that's what I think helps, them, helps us, if we're like that, to, to act and to be what we think is acceptable. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good thought because in verse 14, Paul gives his motivation, right? When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So Paul's Paul's intent is so that the gospel st stays true and pure and not, um, you know, polluted. But, you know, it was my experience in, in business, the same thing, that very, very, very few managers had the courage to say no when no was the thing that definitely wasn't wanted. Mm. Um, it's having that courage. And so it's, it happens in the wider society and it happens in the church. And I, I suspect, I mean, that Paul was incredibly courageous to stand like that. But, but it's so easy when you, if you're not clear on who you really are or you're feeling insecure, then you're going to be blown by the wind, aren't you? And you're going to be really affected by the need to be approved of by what was a very powerful group, you know, that you were part of. Yeah. or linked to. Yeah. Thanks, Teresa, for your thoughts. I really liked uh, the, uh, the desire to be accepted and approved of that very, very um, deep personal um, desire that we, a lot of us have, and it's very powerful. Getting, leading into the, the verse 14 that Sharon said, um, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, so what is the truth of the gospel? Because does Peter think that Jesus is the Messiah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So do the Pharisees who believe in Jesus think that Jesus is the Messiah? Yes. Yes. Everybody's believing Jesus is the Messiah. So that's not what is meant here by the truth of the gospel. So is it not verse in Galatians 5 verse 4? where it says, Christ has become no effect to you, whosoever you are who are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So if you're trying to do anything through works again, that's not the gospel. If I may suggest there's a deeper issue here that explains what's going on in Paul's mind, and I believe it can be expressed well through the phrase of new creation. Paul viewed the cross of Christ as being the boundary condition between this world and all the good things and bad things in it and the world to come and the power of the resurrection of Christ. If you are in front of it, you are in the flesh, you are in the natural, you are under the law. If you have gone to the cross with Christ and crucified yourself with Christ, you are a new creation. The law as a, an expression of a list of commandments in decrees has been nailed to the cross and left there. It is still in front of the cross. Those of us who have crucified ourselves with Christ are new creatures in a new creation where the law has no power. Amen. Amen. Well, we might as well just stop the recording there and keep going. Yeah. 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 So the truth of the gospel is not that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, that is true. That is part of the gospel, but that is not what is the, the issue that is being talked about here. And uh, as REA has suggested, it is the truth of the new creation. What exactly has the resurrection now done in this boundary between Jews and Gentiles? And they're throwing it up again. Made and, the two one. Yeah, and, you know, it's as though the resurrection hadn't occurred yeah. and something's wrong. And, uh, but it was very subtle, but it was very powerful. 
And okay, also, so we, sorry, have... just Ariel made me think of something. We always tend to forget that Jesus Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, yep. not of the Levitical priesthood. Yeah. And so the, this is another, it's a priesthood that is completely different because it's not based on what's, although this one is a shadow of what's in heaven, Christ is of a completely different priesthood and we are priests in him. Yes. Kings I mean, that, that is, that is, that is not going to be able to be just handled, Sharon. Sorry, I saw your little chat there. What's the difference between the Levitical priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood? There is absolutely no way we can answer that question in the next 20 minutes. Okay, that is a much bigger discussion. <laughs> but yes, the book of Hebrews is very clear to try and describe the uniqueness of the high priesthood of the Messiah. Because let's all, let's all face it, you know, if, if Yeshua, Jesus, is from the tribe of Judah, he can't physically be a Levitical priest. He's just not from the right tribe, right? It just can't happen. But his priesthood is way better. And, you know, there's, there's a, there's, but also within the book of Hebrews, there's a, there's a long tradition on discussing who Melchizedek is in the Second Temple period. So it's, it's not like he says that in, in um, a vacuum. That doesn't just actually come out of nowhere. Uh, for those that uh, don't know what I'm talking about, then um, when you read Dead Sea Scrolls and um, other late, very late Second Table Period texts, you will see discussions on, on who is Melchizedek and his priesthood, why he is a priest, why he uh, uh, worships El Elyon, even before the Torah. Okay, and uh, which is a unique uh, experience, but it really shouldn't surprise anybody, really, because God talked to Adam and Eve, and they weren't Jewish. Yeah. Uh, so, so the sort of idea that you know the world didn't start until God talked to Jews, well, actually, that's not true. Um, there was quite, 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 a, quite a long discussion, you know, prior uh, to to the advent of uh, of Abraham. Okay. And I also happened to listen to a, an, uh, an article today which discussed, um, you know, Messiah finished his um, mission upon the resurrection. I was like, well, yeah, but after the resurrection, he still taught for 40 days. So obviously something was pretty important. Um, so, you know, some, you know it's, it's not just that you go, okay, Jesus resurrected and that's the end of the story. Actually, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, as we're also experiencing in Galatians. Everybody here knows Jesus resurrected. Everybody that we're talking about, the, the, the people from James, James himself, the people in Galatians, the people in every, everybody accepts the resurrection. That's not up for debate. What's up for debate is how you're behaving now, how you're relating to each other, how you're treating oh. each other, how you're actually acting out this faith. And, uh, and Paul has said he has a he's renewed, he's gotten rid of the old, but yet he doesn't sin anymore, it's just the sinful flesh that's in him. Well, that's another big debate because he has that interesting discussion, I think, in Romans. Yeah, I just do the things I don't want to do. You know, he he sort of kind of acknowledges that there's this battle going on between him and the flesh. Yeah, that's true. And I guess if we're all honest, we'll all admit to that battle. I think. Hey, Aaron, here, I going hope. back to Paul's, Paul's boldness, something that yeah. caught my attention 
is that he reprimanded him um, in before them all. You know, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault directly. Reason frankly with your with your your with your neighbor in Leviticus. But here he's going in front of them all. And that, that reminds me of First Timothy, those who continue to sin um, in the presence of all, you know, you go and rebuke them in the presence of all. So it's, it's, it's just quite interesting that the boldness, I opposed him to his face, verse 11, but then in verse 14, when I saw that his conduct was not in step with the truth, I said to Cephas before them all. So it's the boldness also of confronting him. And then well, is he, does he continue to sin? So now that Paul thinks that he should rebuke him in the presence of all? That's a question. Awkward. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, he's, he's rebuking in the presence of all. Is he continuing to sin for some reason? I, I think you, on, you hit the nail on the head because it, it says that even Barnabas eventually followed them. So it seemed to be an ongoing thing. So maybe, maybe you have got something yeah, past tense, girls, verse 13, it was past tense. So then I think once Paul rebuked him, he probably. Okay, so here, here's another question. You're not going to be able to answer it, but we can talk about it. Um, Barnabas has the spirit, yes? Yeah. Peter has the spirit, yes? Mm -hmm. We assume the men from James have the spirit, yes? That's assuming too much, in my opinion. The people from, from uh, James? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to be a bit kinder than you. But definitely Peter and, and Barnabas had the spirit, yes? Yes. So how come Paul's the one that has to challenge them? Why doesn't the spirit do it? Galatians 5.16. Go for it. Tell me why. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Da, da, da. Yeah, 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 yeah. But why is the spirit not challenging Peter? He is through Paul. Ah, so the spirit, <laughs> you can have the Holy Spirit, you can do all kinds of stuff, but you still need a human to come and help you sometimes. Now, isn't that interesting? Yeah, the word of God or, or another human sometimes, <laughs> yes. Right on, Peter, right on, right on, because you could be reading, you guys know that, yeah. you can be reading your quiet time and then you're convicted by something you read by yourself, right? What I'm trying to say, Sharon, is... That there are people who are so who say that they're so full of the spirit, I don't need to be told by anybody else because I've just got the spirit and I'm true. Spirit leads me into all truth. Well, what happened to Paul to Peter and Barnabas? They got the spirit. And so sometimes you need another brother to come along and say, actually, that's not correct. Yeah. And uh, and and that's another good lesson that we should all learn. And it's a, it's a humility lesson. It's iron a, sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron, yes. Even though both, both people who have the iron are, are, have got the spirit, the sword of the spirit. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's something that, that uh, you know, the, this, this idea that, as Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect the habit of meeting together. We need to be in fellowship with each other. We need that spirit that's sitting inside you, sitting inside me, sitting inside us. We need that fellowship around the table, that fellowship in our Bible studies, and that fellowship in our communities that we can continue to learn and correct because we can all go astray. As Peter says, that, that roaring lion. And maybe he was referencing this bit. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's a good thought. But, but Paul also will confess in later verses, I still don't do the things I want to do even though I've, you know, given Peter a bit of a slap in the face. But, okay, 
Um, hey, Peter, come here. Let, let's talk about it in the corner. I, I just, the whole thing about, you know, in, in front of everyone, I, I think that happens too much in our day and age. And um, why do you think Paul had to make it public? Well, of course, they were uh, in front of everyone eating. And so, you know, this, the, the, right, the, from James, but uh, couldn't he have taken him aside and just said, hey, you know, well, shape up. Yeah, good thought, thought of on, but I think it was a public issue, right? Everyone needed the same answers, right? So it was an issue that everybody, he wanted to clarify for everybody for the sake of the gospel, right? Maybe he wanted to make some witnesses to his defense, actually. Yep, yep. Because they could have had their own little Talmudim around that needed a lesson as well. They, mm -hmm. I need to make this really public. I need witnesses from all the community. You got to tell everybody else what happened here. It still happens today in the Jewish community when we have a big issue and they just want to do it in front of a Betin or in front of other rabbis and Talmudim to make witnesses and also to make it public. You know? Oh, yeah. And in the, in the, in the rabbinic world, after they've come to a decision, do they make that decision public for everybody else who wasn't there? Or, Yeah, they do. Yeah, Because that's kind of like what this is too. These, yeah. these epistles are the written public witness from, from something that was very public. Yeah, because, I mean, even because nobody's seen in here, that's why he doesn't need to do it in uh, private like Jesus says. Because nobody's sinning against God or nobody's sinning against each other. It's just, you know, a way of uh, thinking is different. Peter was a good guy. Shaul was a good guy. Yeah, that's what I think. Isn't this quite a, contro not controversial, quite a, something that will really impact our walk with the Lord by falling from grace? This, this isn't just something that they're doing wrong. This could lead them out of, I don't believe we can lose our salvation, but this is something that could take them away from that walk they have with the freedom in Christ and, and bring them back into that bondage. This is something so detrimental to their faith if they go down that route of going back into this works where they're having to be doing things. So it's not just something that they're doing wrong on the side, which they can correct. This is something really, to me, something quite fundamental in the faith. They're going back to works. They're taking what Christ did on the cross and they're saying, that's not really good enough or strong enough for what we need. We, we can do it ourselves or we have to go back to something to add to our salvation. It's trampling underfoot the blood of Christ that Hebrews talks about, which that leads to a level of sin that is not forgivable and, and therefore detrimental to your salvation, one could easily say. I'm going to put a throw a spanner in the works that might uh, make everybody talk for the next half an hour. I'm not 100% sure this is a salvific issue on its surface. A what, Peter? A Aaron? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you. Thank you for calling me, Peter. Sharon. <laughs> And, uh, let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get a Joseph and Mary and a Jesus. Okay, listen. Um, it's it's not eating with Gentiles. It's not a salvific issue, is it? No. Paul says it is in this verse. So I think the challenge, Aaron, is that where? We the so we've got one no. We've got one yes. Why, Sharon? Do you say it's it's about us? It's about salvation. 
2, verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I guess, just going back for a second background, okay? So we were always taught that you always, whenever you approach the scriptures, you pray and ask God to, to teach you what it means, right, by his spirit. And then you, you have to look at it and let it tell you versus bring your kind of interpretation and your in understanding on it, right? And exactly like you're, you guys are saying. So you let, you know, now we dig into the history and why are they saying what they're saying and what's happening here practically on the day-to-day. -day. Darren, we asked, what was the truth of the gospel? Right. So, the, so. And you're saying that if they're not walking the truth of the gospel, it's they're not saved? That goes against their... their... I'm not saying that. Paul is. No, no I don't think Paul is saying that. <laughs> well, what do you think? What do you think? What, how do you understand verse 14? Well, I'm asking everybody here, and I'm I, saying I don't think this is a salvific issue. This is a, a, a form of halakha. What's halakha? How you walk it out, because you're not walking the truth of the gospel. You're right. doing something else. Has the Holy Spirit left Peter? Has the no. Holy Spirit left Barnabas? We never no. said he did. No. It no, hasn't no. yet, but it could, and this is addressed by Paul in the fifth chapter of this very letter when he says if you believe that you are doing the right thing by keeping the works of the law you are separated from christ separated from christ is by definition being lost from salvation right so it's not that they're lost yet no but it's a slope a slippery slope yes right. yes and so but then now we're going to come into that tension once saved always saved okay but we're not going to go there but we're just <laughs> going to acknowledge that it's a big deal for paul that he's got to jump on this because the slippery slope goes in a place that he doesn't want to go. But we're not going to say that Peter and, and Barnabas are all of a sudden, you know, become heretics and think. Oh, no, absolutely right. not. No. But, but it is a powerful issue. It's a big problem. Okay. And, uh, and so he says, he says to Cephas, you know, using his polite Aramaic name because he really loves as Arie said, loves Hebrew, even though he's uh, having a scribe writing Greek. Okay, uh, so Cephas, Peter, Hepha, in front of everyone, got to make it public. This is a public issue. It's a public thing. We're not doing it in private. Um, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. And as Mordecai said, that's a, a, a way of talking. He's not saying that Peter is a Gentile. But going on, right, the principle, right? And so as he goes on in chapter three in the book, right? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so after beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So exactly to Arie's point that, you know, this is the fundamental basis of the gospel. Like, do we have to do certain things to be acceptable to God? Yes. Right. And um, the, the, it's, we have to understand that this is an issue of halakha. Now, there is halakha. There is a way of walking, even in the spirit. No one has the spirit and sits and does nothing. Faith without works, works okay, is dead. dead. Hebrews 5, obey. But what do you obey? How do you do it? It's not a works righteousness. 
It's the voice of God currently speaking and communing with us, not reading a letter on a page anywhere. Correct. Yes, but still a walking out. It's still a, a, still a foot in front of another. It's still that kind word, the nice smile, the generosity. That's a real thing. Love is a real thing. It's not a fake thing. It's not a word. It's an action. I can't say I love you and do nothing. It has to be. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing. So what's going on here is a wrong halakha, a wrong acting out. And Paul's very concerned because it could go into a very dangerous place. Okay. Uh, and uh, so how is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, I know we're over time, but let's finish it here. What do you think he means by forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? What, what, is, what is No, that's, we're not, that's not the issue yet. Oh, you mean, okay. The oral laws and traditions. Well, I made of, man. yes, yes, okay, I, I, yes, that's true. There's a, but there's a type, there's something that's going on. What's the, and it might lead to that, Rocky, that's true. Um, what's the big issue that, that's going on here? Eating challah, um, you know, the keshit rules, yeah. whatever it is. Let, let's, let's just pretend you're a Gentile believer. You're sitting in Galatia. You've heard from Paul the message of the Messiah. You used to be a pagan. You used to worship idols. Now you worship the true God. Now you worship the Messiah. You're doing great. These Jews who a year ago would never give you the time of day, now suddenly are calling you brother, they're eating with you, they're fellowshipping with you, you're worshipping with them, you're reading the Psalms together, it's fantastic. And then all of a sudden, they're not eating with you. All of a sudden, they're somewhere else. All of a sudden, they're saying, no, actually, you're a second-class citizen in the kingdom. So what does that make you do? You're a Gentile. Feel bad. Well, okay, well, I feel bad, fine. But what would be resentful? Okay, resentful, that could be one thing. Okay. What what could be what could be some other things apart from just feelings? Turn from the faith. Yeah. Could turn from the faith, yes. Yeah. Could be a rejection, like really, this is this is this is it. This is the Messiah. Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going back to Zeus, Poseidon, and Neptune. Okay, yeah. but maybe not. What might be one of the other dangers? Confusion. Offense, that's sin. Am I acceptable to God or not now? Okay. And then if I want to be accepted, if I want to be accepted, what do I start doing? I become acting like a Jew. Yes. I stop thinking that God loves me as a Gentile. I start going, well, I guess I have to look like them then. Or I have to convert to Judaism, right? Yes. Then I have to convert to Judaism. And Paul's like, oh, my gosh, I see the danger here. And, uh, and this, this is not what we were told to do. We weren't told to go out into the world to make everybody Jewish, okay, because that makes the prophecies in the, in the prophets and in the Psalms mean absolutely nothing. How can you have hallelujah, Adonai, kologoyim, praise the Lord, all you nations, Gentiles, if there aren't any Gentiles? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's just not. Just, well, that doesn't mean anything, and we should probably scratch that one out of the Bible, you know. Um, the book of Jonah suddenly makes absolutely no sense, right? You get all these Gentiles in Nineveh repenting. Uh, but wait, they, uh, they stay Gentiles. But, and, and you read it on Yom Kippur. 
But uh, so there was a there was a very real danger. Paul saw a very real danger that once you started uh, bringing in the boundary issue again, that the danger was the Gentiles would begin to feel like second-class citizens. They would begin to question their place and standing within the Messiah. They might even question how they could relate to God. So I guess we will leave in and become Jewish. But that was not the gospel. The gospel isn't become Jewish and believe in Jesus. The gospel is believe in Jesus. And, and, and how that plays out with two groups of Jews and Gentiles. And uh, you, so, so there was a, it was, it's a very powerful, um, a very strong problem that Paul could see. And, uh, and he leapt at it and he made sure that it was very public. <clears throat> Which gospel was Yeshua talking about? There's only one. Well, there was nothing written as far as what most people call gospels. We're not written yet, so. No, Paul used the term gospel here. Um, Rocky in verse 14, you mean? Yeah, the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? Remember, the gospel that, as we, in verse one, in chapter 1, is in passive. Paul is saying, I am preaching the gospel, but it's not something he's making up. He's, the, the good news of, of, of Jesus as the Messiah is to the world. And the world is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And uh, that's the thing. The gospel that he received from God, Rocky. He receives not... from, yeah, he receives at, uh, in a... From the Torah. Yes, uh, Torah never changes. That's, that's, that's the good news, the gospel. The good news is that Jesus is the Messiah. He was resurrected for the sins of the world. And it is open to Jews and to Gentiles. All right, guys, we will pick it up. I know we did not get halfway through what I thought it was. This is actually quite a big issue. So we will continue to tackle this issue next week. Uh, however, the major thing we will tackle next week is works of the law, works of the Torah. What is the difference between Torah, which is what Rocky's talking about, and the works of the Torah? And how do we understand that? And what does that actually mean? Because it plays into this separation of Jews and Gentiles, which is not meant to happen. Thank you very much. I wish you all a blessed Sabbath. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King